0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. For the past couple weeks, we have been looking at the subject of prayer that works. And we've been looking at the biblical truth about prayer. And we've been trying to see some things that will help strengthen our prayer life and can drive us into a deeper life of prayer ...with God. And of course the first week we looked at the prayer of Elijah, and we saw the model prayer that he gave in James. Uh, we referenced to Elisha's prayer, and so we looked at his prayer on Mount Carmel and saw the, the, the prayer life that he had. And prayer was not an afterthought for Elisha. He, he worked at his prayer. He, he was specific in his prayers. He got other people involved in his prayers, and he, he prayed according to God's will, and he prayed expecting God to answer. You know, too many of us, when we pray, we don't expect God to answer. We, we throw up these grandioso prayers and say, well, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. And we really don't. And so we, we pray for God to do it, then we work on it on our own. But the Bible tells us we should pray expecting God to answer. And then last week, we looked at the prayer life of Daniel. And we saw the power of persistent prayer. Daniel, of course, prayed for, for 21 days. For the answer to his problem to come and God tells him as soon as you prayed, the answer was sent but the forces of darkness battled against Daniel's answer to prayer for 21 days and so we we aren't supposed to just pray one time and give up but be persistent in our prayer. Tonight we're going to look at the prayer life of Moses in Exodus and we're going to look at the power of persuasive prayer. And honestly, what we're going to look at tonight, it can, it can sometimes be uncomfortable to really think about. It can be confusing to really learn about. It's a truth that seems to go against everything we've ever been taught about God. But this truth can help us look at prayer in an entirely different way. So look in your Bibles in Exodus chapter 32, starting verse number 1. We're going to read through verse number 20. <clears throat> Bible says that when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as, as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned them with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, said, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, "'Tomorrow is a feast of the Lord.' And they rose up early on the morrow, and offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink, and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, "'Go, get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves.'" They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and I have have sacrificed thereunto. And said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation." And Moses besought the Lord and God his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel? Thy servants to whom thou hast swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of his testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both sides, one on the one side and the other on, and, and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh into the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hand and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf of which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. Now, of course, this, this is a, a, if you've been in church at all, you know this story, of course, but the events that are happening here about four months before this passage, Moses had led the people of God, the nation of God. He has led them out of, out of bondage in Egypt. And if you read the story, it seems like ever since they left slavery in Egypt, the nation of Israel did nothing but complain. When they get to the Red Sea, they complain because they were afraid of the Egyptian army. After God Parts of the Red Sea, they cross over on dry ground. They turn around and watch the, nation, watch the Red Sea close up on the, the Red Sea. They complain they're thirsty. Then they complain they're hungry. Then they get to Mount Horeb and they, they see the power of God displayed. And they, they tend the lightning of God's voice and they tell Moses that God's too scary. And they complain about the scariness of God. Over in Exodus chapter 20. Verse 18, this is right when they get to the Mount of Orb. But if you you know your scripture, they've already God has given them audibly. Everyone heard it. He gave them the Ten Commandments audibly. And then in verse number 19, uh, verse 18 it says, And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise and the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off, and said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. So they, they get to the Mount, of, uh, the Mount Horeb and they see God's power. They see the thunderings. They see the lightnings. They hear the voice of God. They hear God say, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And when God's done with the Commandments, they pull Moses aside and say, you know what? He's too loud. We don't want to talk to him. You go talk to him. We'll just talk to you. So ever since they had left Egypt, they did nothing but complain. Nothing was good enough for them. So finally, Moses goes up onto the mountain. He spends 40 days with God. And the nation of Israel, they get bored, and they complain again. They go to Aaron, say Moses has been gone too long. We're sick of waiting. Just make us other gods, and we'll worship them. We don't want that big, scary god that Moses worships anyway. They want another god. So they have Aaron make them a golden calf, and they begin to worship it. This is in spite of the fact that 40 days earlier, they'd all heard God say the number two no-no was making false gods and worshiping it. But they ignore God and do what, done, what they wanted to. So Israel has been nothing but trouble since they left Egypt. And it appears as if God has finally had enough. It appears... As if God has finally done. Back in verse number seven of chapter thirty-two, He says, "And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee down for thy people, which thou brought us out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves; they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, and have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, and then the verse 10 He goes, Get out of my way, because I'm going to kill them. So God basically tells Moses, Moses, I'm sick of these Israelites. They've done nothing but complain. They've done nothing but disobey. Get out of the way. I'm wiping them off the face of the planet. I'm sick of these people. I'm going to destroy them and start a new nation with you. Now, you know your Bible. You know God didn't do that. So was God serious? Or did he just lose his temper and say something he didn't really mean to say like I did earlier? God never loses his temper. God never says something he doesn't mean. He never acts irrationally. God doesn't make idle threats. So when God told Moses, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth and start a new nation with you. God was serious. And Moses knew that God was serious. So he, he was so convinced that God was going to destroy Israel, that he prays to God. He pleads with God. He prays a very intense prayer. And as a result of Moses' prayer, God changes his mind and decides not to destroy Israel. Now, honestly, I've always had a problem with this passage. How can a man get Almighty God to change his mind? Bible says in Numbers 23, God is not man that he should lie, neither the Son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and, ha- and shall he not do it, or hath he spoken and not made it good? So in Numbers, God says, I'm not like you. I don't change my mind. I'm all knowing, I'm all powerful, I'm omnipresent. I'm sovereign over everything. Every decision I make is the perfect decision. So why would I change my mind once I've made a decision? He doesn't lie. He doesn't make idle threats. He doesn't change his mind once his mind's been set. Unless he's talking to Moses, apparently. That's why this is a difficult passage to study. It goes against our theology about God. God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is, he is all-knowing. He is sovereign over everything. He knows the past, the present, and the future all together. But if he knows all things, why make a threat if he knows he's not going to go through with it? it? It causes a problem until you add the power of prayer into the equation. Prayer is a powerful force in the life of the believer let look at some of the passages about what God says about prayer. in Matthew 18, 19. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father, which is in heaven. That's a pretty incredible promise, Jesus says. Jesus says, hey, if two of you agree on anything and you ask God of it, he'll do it. That's an incredible promise God's given us. Mark 11, 24. Therefore, I say, therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when you pray, believe that when you, you receive them, and ye shall have them. So say whatever you desire, if you pray, believing God's going to give it to you, you got it. It's as good as there' already. John 15:7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. James 15:16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. All throughout Scripture, we are told we can change things through prayer. We can move mountains through prayer. We can do anything through prayer. But in the back of our minds, there's this nagging suspicion that our prayers really don't do that much to change things anyway. God is God. And God's going to do what God's going to do, Because God is all-powerful, and God is all-knowing, and God is sovereign over all things, so why bother praying? The prayer life of Moses tells us why we should bother praying. Tonight, let's look at the power of persuasive prayer. First of all, we notice that God gives us authority in prayer. Back at Exodus chapter 32, verse 10, (coughs) this is God speaking. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them. And that I may consume them, and I will make thee of, a, of man. I will make of thee a great nation. Why is God telling Moses to leave him alone? God is basically telling Moses, Moses, if, if you'd move, I'd be able to get something done. If you'd get out of my way, I could do this. Why didn't God just say, while he's looking at Moses, say, Oh, by the way, I just wiped out Israel. Now I'm going to start over with you. Why didn't you just do it? And explain to Moses what he was doing later. He could have just told Moses what the plan was after he had done it. But God wanted Moses' permission to do it. Why? Why does the creator of the universe need the permission of one of his creations to do anything to the rest of his creation? Because Moses had been given authority by God over the people of Israel. Look how God describes them in verse, chapter number 7. Or verse number 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down, for thy people, which thou boughtest out land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. You know, the, before they're God's people, and he brought them. And now it's Moses, your people, who you brought out of Egypt, have messed up. Now, this isn't like when your kids mess up and you look at your wife and say, Look what your kids did. Look what your kids did. My kids didn't do that. Your kids did that. That's not what God is doing here. God had given Moses authority and responsibility over Israel. The nation of Israel were Moses' responsibility, they had been given to Moses, they were his area. So while God does want to destroy them, he asks Moses' permission because he'd given Moses' authority, responsibility over them. The prayer, the authority that we have in prayer, we have it because God has given it to us. God has given us authority in prayer. That's why he says, if two of you come together and agree of anything on earth, and you ask of God, I will give it to you. God gave us that authority. That's why he said that whatever we ask in prayer, believing, we shall receive it, because God gave us that authority. That's why he said that if we abide in him, and his words abide in us, we can ask whatever we want, and he will give it to us, because God has given us that authority in prayer. So we have been given incredible authority in prayer. We have permission by God to plead to him about our desires and our needs. And that is what prayer is about. And we've been given authority and a privilege to do it because we belong to him. But there's a second thing we got to notice. Not only does God give us authority, but our authority is limited by his will. There's a catch to the authority. We can't just go to God, demanding anything we want, and he's obligated to give it to us. God is not our unlimited wish genie. Moses didn't presume to change God's mind in prayer. He had the position of authority and responsibility over Israel, but he still prayed with God's will in mind. Again, look at verse number 11 in chapter 32. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? Again, Moses saying, No, they're not mine, they're yours. Against thy people, (coughs) which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with, with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath... And repent of this evil against thy people, man that's a bold thing to say to God, God you're being evil, you better repent, but as he was telling God what he what he wanted what he needed to hear remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel thy servants whom thou swearest by thine own self, and says to them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever so Moses doesn't tell God what Moses wants to tell him. He appeals to the reasons why God should spare the nation according to the will of God. He's in Egypt and the rest of the world, they're going to think that you took them out in the desert to destroy them. That means that you're either a vengeful and wicked and evil God, or you're not strong enough to keep them safe. And and neither were true. So he says, God, if you do this, you're going, to, you're going to lose glory. You're going to lose honor. You're going to lose worship. Then he reminds God of the promise he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Says, and God, you promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that these people you want to wipe out, that you would use them to multiply their nature. So you've already made a promise, God. You can't go back on your word because you're God. So you can't do what you, what, what you want to do. Well, Moses had a position of authority given to him by God over what happened to Israel, he prayed in God's will, not his own. See, how do you know it wasn't his will? Because two chapters later, Moses is saying, hey God, you remember when you wanted to wipe him out? Go for it. And God says, oh no, no, no. You had your chance. You missed it. God, Moses prays to God according to God's will. So let me explain it to you. The Bible says, that the husband has a position of authority and responsibility in the home. In Ephesians 3, 25, 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, some men can take this passage and use it as a license to do whatever they want to their wives and their children because they're in control. God gave them the position of authority. My house, what I say goes, you listen to me. They run their home with an iron fist and they act as dictators. They have a God-given authority to do so, but they're wrong. Because while the husband has authority over the wife, they are also commanded to care for the wife as a special vessel. 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with him according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers... Be not hindered. See, what Peter is teaching us is that because the husband is the head of the house, because he has a position of authority, he must not misuse his authority. If he does, God won't hear his prayers. So we have authority in prayer. We have permission to ask God to shape His will to our request, but we always have to keep our eye on God's will and God's desires in our prayers. John 14, 14, If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So if we pray, asking things that please God, asking things that bring glory to God, then God has given us the authority to ask him these things and he will answer our prayers. We have that authority, but it's not unlimited authority. It is authority limited by his will. We cannot force God to bend his will to our will. Look at chapter 32. Look at verse number 30. I'll put it on the screen for you. (laughs) And it came to pass on the morrow. That Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I will make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, O oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me blot me, I pray thee, out of the book of which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore, go now, lead the people into the place of which I have spoken to thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. So God tells Moses, this man that had changed God's mind. God was going to wipe out the whole nation, but Moses had convinced God to change his mind. But God says, Moses, there's some things you can't change. So Moses goes back to God and says, God, they sinned against you. You need to forgive them. If you don't, God just blot my name out. And God says, Moses, I spared the whole nation. But those that have sinned against me, they have to pay for their sin. They will be judged for their sin. So God had granted his earlier request, but this request wouldn't wouldn't be granted because God must judge sin. To ignore sin is against the will of God. So yes, we have authority in prayer. We can ask anything of God and he's going to do it for us. We abide in him. We, we can quote all the verses, but our prayers have to be lined up with God's will. We have authority, but it's limited by his will. So as believers, we can pray with confidence. We can come boldly before God's throne. We can approach him knowing that we have the authority to petition him with our desires and our requests. And when we pray, we are entering the presence of God with the authority to ask anything of our loving Heavenly Father. But our authority is limited by his will. Our prayers have the power to change things. Let's be a group of believers that don't take that power for granted.